Well, welcome to the fourth and final workshop of the St. Charles Challenge, also workshop for the RCIA folks. Uh, tonight's topic is celebrate, how we celebrate our faith, right? The St. Charles Challenge is based on the four pillars of our faith, how we learn about the faith, how we share our faith, how we live our faith, and how we celebrate, our, or how we pray our faith, and how we celebrate our faith. Tonight's workshop is the Celebrate Workshop. We're going to spend half an hour talking about uh, how to get more out of Mass, and then half an hour on how to make a good confession. This is because part of the St. Charles Challenge is challenging everyone to ideally, hopefully, be faithful to the Third Commandment to keep holy of the Lord's Day and attend Mass faithfully every Sunday, but also encouraging people to uh, avail themselves of the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation as confession once a month. Now, for those of you that are in RCIA who are not yet Catholic, you are welcome, of course, to celebrate, to attend Mass every Sunday, and I'm hoping that that's part of your ongoing formation in the faith and preparation for coming into the church is attending Mass faithfully every Sunday, even if you're not Catholic yet. Confession is another issue, right? Confession will come later, just before you receive the sacraments at Easter time, right? Um, those of you, of course, that are already Catholic and are preparing for confirmation, uh, most probably you've already received your first penance and your first communion, so you can, of course, regularly go to confession. So it's a little jumping the gun talking about confession, but it, it'll give you an orientation, those of you who are not Catholic, about this great sacrament and maybe dispel some of the mysteries of this great sacrament. All right. So we're going to begin this half hour uh, talking about how to get more out of Mass. And I explicitly uh, entitled the talk that because for years as a priest, some, you know, I often hear, especially from younger people, well, you know, I don't like to go to Mass, I don't get anything out of Mass. I don't get anything. Mass is boring, it's always the same, the prayers are rote, you know. It's not like evangelical praise and worship where you kind of, it's all spontaneous and you make it up as you go along, right? Uh, so people will tell you, stop going to Mass, just for, you know, young people, so they feel out of boredom, they just don't get much out of it. Well, my response to that always, of course, is to get something out of it, you got to put something into it, right? The Mass is a two-way street. The fundamental purpose of the sacred liturgy, the celebration of the sacraments, is God sanctifies man, and man gives glory to God. Obviously, man includes man, right? I'll, I'll be PC if I need to, right? So, you know, the, the two purposes of the liturgy are, uh, you know, humanity gives glory and praise to God through the, through the celebration of the sacred liturgy and the sacraments, and God sanctifies us and makes us holy by his grace. So that means it's a two-way street, right? God is working on us, as it were, and we're responding to what he does for us through the prayers and the praise and the worship of the liturgy. So, to get more out of Mass, you've got to put more into Mass. And I'd like to suggest four simple ways you can do that. Preparation, concentration, I'm sorry, information, preparation, concentration, and continuation. It's been a while since I give the talk. So uh, we're going to talk about that, right? That you can get more out of Mass by doing these four simple things. So the first thing is information. Like anything in life, the more you know about it, the better you can participate and get engaged in it, right? So for example, I am not very knowledgeable about professional sports, right? Uh, I can watch a football game and I know what a first down, I can tell a first down from a third down, you know, and I can tell, uh, you know, I can tell a bunt from a home run, and I can tell, I suppose, you know, uh, I used to know how to score tennis, it's been long, 15, 30, 40, well, Anyway, it's been a long time, right? But, you know, if you're going to play a professional sport, or you really want to be in a professional sport, you got to know how it works, right? you got to have the proper information, right? <coughs> you, 
you know, it's just to, you know, and I, like even since I was a kid, they again I don't follow sports, I don't watch sports very much, so they you know they've changed football, right? When you now when you score a touchdown, it's still six, six points, right? And you can kick for the extra point, right? Can't you also run for two extra points? See, that's new. On how old that is? How when did that start? Anybody? Like when I was growing up, they didn't have two extra points. They just kick for the field goal, right? Kick for the extra point. In any event. You know, the more information you have, the better you can enter into it and experience, you know, enter into the experience and, 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 and get something out of it, right? Uh, it goes for anything important in life, for anything fun in life, right? Even, for example, learning an instrument. You're going to learn how to play an instrument. You have to, you have, to, have, the you have, to have the proper information. You have to learn how to read music. You have to learn how to tune the instrument, how to, how to change the strings, you know? Uh, in your work, right? In your work, you have trainings all the time. You have updates in software. You have training manuals. You have to have the proper, you have orientation when you get a new job, right? And regular ongoing formation, and, and uh, you have to have all kinds of information so you know what you're doing, right? So to do it well. So if you're gonna get something out of it, you've gotta, you've gotta understand what it's all about. So the same goes for the holy sacrifice of the mass, right? As it does for our whole faith, you know? Why are we spending all these, these Monday nights, you know, learning about the faith? As I've said from the beginning, studying the faith is never for us a mere academic exercise or some sort of intellectual pursuit. It's about getting to know a person <coughs> so we fall more in love with him and follow him more, more, more deeply, and that's Jesus, right? And that's what the celebration of, the, of this Christian mystery is all about in the sacraments. That's what celebrating our faith is all about in Mass and in confession. It's about an encounter with Jesus, right? But again, to get more out of that, we have to put more into it. And that means we have to understand what's really going on there. The Mass is the very center of our lives as Catholic Nothing we do is more important than the holy sacrifice of the Mass. I and mean, if we really believe that in the Mass, the Lord nourishes us with his word and feeds us with his body and blood, and we're offering, we're perpetuating, we're continuing to offer and perpetuate the sacrifice of Christ on, his cro on the cross by which he saved humanity and poured himself out in love to reconcile us to, to God and make us one with him, if we really believe that's what's going on in every Mass, then... We realize why it is the very center of our lives, why it's the most important thing we do week in and week out, and why then we really should know as much about it as we can so as to enter really fruitfully into that celebration and get more out of it. Okay? So I have some suggestions for you here about how to learn more about the Mass. And basically what you have there is a bibliography, beginning with, of course, the fundamental manual to the Catholic faith, which is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. As you will see or have seen already, the third section, I'm sorry, the second section of the Catechism, second part, is the celebration of the Christian mystery, right? After we learn the first part, which is the profession of faith, what we believe, the next part is how we celebrate what we believe in the liturgy and the sacraments, right? Because all that we learn about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the sending of the, you know, the, the incarnation, that is the Son, taking on our humanity, and in that humanity, revealing God, and then saving us through his passion, death, and resurrection, and all of that salvation, all of that we believe about God, is experienced and lived, his grace, his life, is experienced and lived in our celebration of the sacraments, by which that grace is poured into our hearts. So that second section of the Catechism is all about the liturgy in general and about each of the sacraments in particular. But here's also a good bibliography of a number of books on the Mass that are really helpful to read and learn more about the Mass. A Walk Through the Mass by Cardinal Wuerl, which is a really good, uh, and then there's a Biblical Walk Through the Mass by uh, Dr. Sri, who teaches out in Denver at the Augustine Institute. Uh, majority of the prayers in the Mass come straight from sacred scripture, right? And so uh, 
it's helpful to have that biblical walk of the Mass, and you see that these prayers are rooted in ancient Christian and even in ancient Hebrew tradition at times. Loving and Living the Mass, the Holy Mass by Avery Jeremiah Shapiro, the Heart of Christian Life by Pope Benedict XVI, Feast of Faith, Spirit of the Liturgy, and God is Near Us. A lot by uh, Joseph Ratzinger, that is Benedict XVI. He, he's one of the greatest theologians of the last 150 years, but he has a way of taking profound and deep truths and making them understandable and simple and accessible. You know? So he's, he's, a, he's a phenomenal teacher. As a matter of fact, I was telling a prisoner uh, just a couple of weeks ago about uh, once when Pope Benedict uh, was Pope. Oh, he's, he's a brilliant mind, an extraordinary intellect. He has his library has about 8,000 volumes he calls his friends, right? <coughs> uh, but he's also a phenomenal and down-to-earth teacher. And I was telling this prisoner about, we were talking about him and what a great teacher he is, and I told him that uh, at one point when he was Pope, before he, he re retired, resigned, um, once he had an audience in St. Peter's Square for all the children in Rome that year that were making their first confession at First Communion, right? So here's the Pope, you know, here's this brilliant man uh, who's been one of the church's greatest theologians, I'd say, in the last hundred, hundred years, uh, with all these little seven-year-olds. And they're coming up, they come up to those little microphone set up, and they come up, he's sitting on his chair, you know, they come up and they ask him questions, and he answers them off the cuff. Google it, read it. It's phenomenal how this brilliant man, who's the Pope, you know, and a great theologian, it meets these kids where they are and explains, you know, what it's like to receive communion, what it is they're receiving, the experience of his first communion, he remembers his first communion. It's really beautiful how he explains in their own language at their level the beauty of the mystery that they're getting ready to, to celebrate and receive in communion. So he's a great teacher, and I recommend his, uh, his books to you in general, but these in particular regarding, regarding the Mass. So how to get more out of Mass? Information. The more you know about it, the rich history behind it, the symbolism behind it, uh, the, the more you get out okay? Any questions about information before we move on to the other points? Okay, so that's the first thing. Know what you're getting into so you can get more out of it. The second thing is preparation, right? If we're gonna enter fruitfully into the celebration of the Mass and really get more out of it, then we have to put more into it in terms of how we prepare to celebrate Mass. And there, there are practical things we can do to prepare well for Mass. There's remote preparation, and there is proximate preparation. Of course, part of the remote preparation is the, is the information part, right? Learning more about the Mass in general so you know what you're celebrating, right? But in terms of actual practical preparation, one thing, of course, that's important is regular celebration of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, right? We want to have clean hearts and pure souls to be able to receive that perfect gift, which is the body and blood of Jesus at the Mass in Holy Communion, right? Um, so we should regularly avail ourselves of the sacrament of penance so we're properly disposed to receive our Lord in Holy Communion. Another thing we can do to prepare for Mass is, of course, the Mass has two parts. The first part of the Mass is the liturgy of the Word, by which Christ himself speaks to us and we're nourished by God's Word. And the second part of the Mass is the liturgy of the Eucharist, by which we offer the sacrifice of the Lord's body and blood and receive him in Holy Communion. So one good way to prepare for the Mass, especially for that first part of the Mass, is to meditate the readings, you know, ahead of time. So you don't just kind of come in cold and you sit down and the lector starts reading and, well, I never heard of this before, right? Could we kind of prepare uh, to prepare for the, to hear the readings again, and then the explanation of the readings in the homily is to meditate the readings ahead of time. They're easily accessible. I mean, there's all kinds of ways of, 
of finding the readings. So there's like the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, right on their homepage. There's a little calendar. You just click on the day and you get the daily mass readings, right? Or there's all kinds of apps. Like this is a great pastoral tool, as I'm always saying, right? So like my first page is my main stuff, and my next page is all of my Catholic stuff, right? So I've got my liturgy of the hours I pray five times a day. I've got my Roman Catholic calendar app, which gives me like the feeds like today's early the rosary. Uh, and then I've got iMissile. And iMissile, I go to iMissile, and then I go to the little, it's on the seventh reading zone, and i got the readings of the day, right? Or I can go to next Sunday and look, look at the, ahead for the readings of Sunday, so I can prayerfully meditate the readings that are going to be proclaimed at Mass on Sunday. i got my Bible app, i got my rosary app, so I can do the rosary hands-free Bluetooth thing while I'm driving, right? All kinds of good stuff. Um, all kinds of good uh, good stuff out there. That, that Bishop's uh, Daily Mass thing, I just checked it. I mean, I just use it for my summary, Sunday preparation of my homily on Sunday. So, I mean, all I have to do is go to Catholic USCCB, comes right up. There's your little calendar. I just click on set. Um, whoops. Click on 13, and then I've got next Sunday's readings. 28th Sunday in ordinary time. I haven't looked at them yet, so let's see what am I preaching on next Sunday. Okay, the healing of the ten lepers. There you go. Uh, I was newly ordained as a priest here at St. Charles Parish. This was 26 years ago. And on, uh, when we still had a full school, on Friday we would have a school mass. All the little kids would come to mass. And one Friday, the gospel reading was the healing of the ten lepers. So I read the gospel, then I go down in front, and I would walk around and ask the kids questions as part of the homily. And so I, said, I began by saying, so I'm newly ordained, right? I'm like 26 years. I began by saying, so, as we just heard in the gospel today, we heard about Jesus healing ten lepers. Who can tell me what a leper is? And like, Colin, little third graders. I said, yes, it's like a tiger but with spots. Yeah. <laughs> 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 never forget that blind <laughs> Kids, you know. Like, no, no, no. Leopard. Anyway. Um, so. Celebrate the sacrament of confession, meditate the readings, know the saints and the feasts, know the liturgical calendar, right? The church in her wisdom has given us what's called the liturgical calendar or the calendar of grace, as well as the sanctoral cycle, the cycle of the feasts of the saints, by which throughout the year, <coughs> the fundamental mysteries of the life of Christ are celebrated in the liturgy. So right now we're in ordinary time, right? Um, we're getting ready to celebrate the 20, 28th Sunday in ordinary time. And then soon, in the beginning of December, we'll start with the season of Advent, which is the beginning of the liturgical year, the new year of grace, right? During the season of Advent, we meditate the mystery of Christ's coming. First of all, the second coming, you know, in glory, and his first coming when he's born for us, right? Uh, then we move on to the Christmas season, which celebrates his, his birth. After that, we go back to ordinary time. Then we go into Lent, which is a penitential season, recognizing we need to do penance and make up for our sins as we prepare for Easter and the Easter season, Holy Week and the Easter season. So throughout the year, we meditate the different <clears throat> mysteries of the life of our Lord and focus on different mysteries at different times and different seasons so we can enter more deeply into the meaning of those mysteries, as well as the feasts of the saints throughout the year, traditionally on the day that they died. They're dies natalis, the day they, they were born. In Latin, dies natalis is the day of their birth. They were born into eternal life through their death, right? So for example... Uh, well, today's the Memorial of Our Lady of the Rosary. But last week we had, uh, on uh, September 30th, St. Jerome, doctor of the church, who translated the Bible from 
the original Hebrew and Greek into Latin and it became the official Bible of the church. Um, St. Therese was on October 1st. St. Francis of Assisi was October 4th, right? Uh, that way we celebrate and commemorate the great examples of holiness that have gone before us in the lives of the saints. Okay, so one way to enter deeply in the Mass and get more on to prepare for it is to review and read about that particular feast that we're celebrating, right? Whether it's the first Sunday of Advent, or it's the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, or it's the Memorial of St. Francis, or whatever Mass you're going to, it's helpful to know what the celebration is all about. Okay. Then the proximate preparation. Okay, it's time to go to Mass. It's Sunday or whatever day. You can go to Mass, of course, during the week. We celebrate Mass every day. Um, and so the proximate preparation can involve, first of all, pet peeve number, probably number three. I've got like 7,845 pet peeves. But pet peeve number three is punctuality. You're probably right, probably number two. Punctuality, right? Especially when it comes to Mass, right? Uh, I, even since I was a kid, I, well, I was born a month early, so like I'm early for time, right? <laughs> As my Marine Corps friends have taught me, early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable, right? But especially when it comes to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, right? If we want to transition from the craziness of daily life and the craziness of noise of out there, and probably if we're going to Mass, we've got the music on in the car or the radio or whatever, or, but you know, our lives are so crazy busy, when we're leaving the world and coming into to the church, we're entering what's an image of heaven, where there should just be quiet and music, right? Just the word, just the word of God and music and silence, right? We leave the world behind. If I had my druthers, if it were possible to do in some easy and, and efficient way, people would leave all their cell phones and their watches outside of things. Because when we go to church, we leave Kronos, worldly time, behind. we enter into Kairos, eternal God's time. Time, time stands still, as it were. So part of transitioning from leaving the world behind, entering into this sacred celebration means getting there early, not just because that way you're not just disturbing people who are coming in late, but because that way you can prayerfully prepare for what you're about to receive, right? Life is crazy out there, to, and to really be able to transition to being still and quiet and silent and rested mentally and physically to be able to really open our hearts to receive the Lord in his word and celebrate and receive him in his sacrament means we have to get there early, you know? And, uh, you know, there's some things we do. So, for example, I don't have a lot of music playing in the church before Mass. So I want people to be able to quietly pray, keep the lights dimmed before, right before Mass, you know? So people have, you know, it's, it's, a, it's sort of an atmosphere, ideally, of recollection, right? So um, I encourage everyone really to come early so they can prayerfully prepare <coughs> for what they're about to receive. Otherwise, the transition doesn't really, you're not, you're not settled down until like half the readings are over, right? Um, so, you know, being on time, which means being early, is important. And uh, as I say, arrive early and pray. You know, prayerfully prepare for what you are going to receive, you know, in your own words. Ask the Lord Jesus to help you be attentive to the word, really encounter him as he speaks to you through his word. And ask to, to, to be able to, to pray and really follow along with the prayers and pray the prayers of the Mass rather than just kind of like rotely say the responses. You know, when the priest says, the Lord be with you, and with your spirit, lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. And just kind of say them because we say them every Sunday. Or are you really praying those words? The best way to really enter into Mass and pray those words is to ask for that grace ahead of time. Get there early and pray and ask for the grace to be able to really pray along with the Mass. And that leads to our next point, which is 
concentration, right? In other words, you're going to get more out of mass if you put more into it, obviously, while you're there. And you're really concentrating and focusing on what is going on. Again, your greatest gifts are your greatest traps. You're, one of the great gifts of, of the Catholic Church is that our liturgy is codified, right? So we're not kind of making it up as we go along, and that also preserves us in our prayers from the danger of saying stuff or praying stuff which is heretical or not, not proper, or, right? So in our prayers, the, the prayers of the Mass are codified. They're written in the Missal. They're in the book, right? And that's a great gift because then we are sure that they are, they're beautifully done and that they're conformed to the faith. The flip side of that is because everything's kind of written down and formulaic, you can kind of just like go through the motions without even thinking about what you're saying or praying, right? So, like, you know, you can say the Our Father while you're thinking of the Redskins game that afternoon, right? My mom was at Mass, her parish is out in, uh, in Ashburn, St. Teresa in Ashburn, and she went to the 10 30 match. It was a 12 30 match. She usually goes to 12 30 match. What time was the Redskins game on Sunday? Do you remember? Was that one? Okay. So my mom goes to 12 30, she's like, Everybody, like, everybody left after communion. The church was empty after communion. She said, I think they must have all been going to the Redskins to watch the Redskins game, right? Anyway. <laughs> Concentration, right? What does that mean? Active participate, participating with the whole person, right? You're not just kind of going through the motions. Your body just kind of isn't there, but your mind is somewhere else, like on the skins or by the barbecue that afternoon or whatever. The plane you got to catch that evening, right? You're, you're participating actively with the whole person's body and soul. And, and that's the great thing about you know, our, our, our worship um, <coughs> church is that we pray with the whole person, with, the, with not just soul, but also body, right? You know, people make fun of Catholics doing, like, you know, liturgical aerobics, right? It's like stand, kneel, sit, kneel, stand, sit, you know, right? You know, bow, kneel, sit, kiss, bow, you know, <laughs> shake, right? Well, that, we are, we are not disembodied souls, right? We are, our souls are incarnate in bodies, and, and we're, we're human persons, you know? Our bodies are ourselves. We don't, we don't have a body. We are our bodies, right? And so we pray with the whole person, you know? And so when we, you know, when we bow, we're showing reverence to the altar, right? When we kneel, we're showing that's the ancient posture of a slave, right? So we're showing adoration and worship of God, right? We stand for the Our Father because one addresses the, our one's dad, one's father, not on the knees as a slave, but stand... These kinds of things you can learn when you read about the Mass. You know, why, why do we kneel, and then we stand for the Our Father, and then kneel again? We stand there, you don't talk to your dad on your knees. That's what a slave does to its master, or a, or a creature does to its creator, right? But in a sense, when we talk to God as Father, we stand, right? So we participate by really uh, using the whole person, body and soul. And part of that concentration also is, you know, responding from the heart in word and in song. You know, sometimes, you know, you know, we're singing the responsorial song, and I'm saying, like, sometimes I try not to. So I don't want to embarrass anyone, or, but sometimes I look up and I'm like, and when it's time for the refrain, and people are like, right? you're supposed to be singing along with the, like, you're supposed to be using the Word of God and singing along with the Word of God. As St. Augustine said, memorably, singing is praying twice, or praying double, right? Because you're putting more of yourself into it. Or he says, singing is proper to lovers. I don't know, proper to lovers. I don't know if that's true for Americans, but like in Latin countries, like you love someone, you sing to them, right? <laughs> we're, kind of, we're kind of white bread. We don't sing to, I don't know, do, do, do boyfriends sing to girlfriends? Do girlfriends sing to boyfriends? I look like a girlfriend, but anyway. Um, so, um, you know, really enter into it and participate by really saying the responses and singing the songs, right? Uh, with all the heart, as I said. Silence. 
one thing our society definitely doesn't have is silence. You know, where we're overwhelmed with stimuli, with noise, 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 everywhere we go. C.S. Lewis has a great line, one of his many great lines. He says, there are two things that don't exist in hell. Music and silence. Hell is just noise, right? What we should experience when we go to church is music and silence. Right? The word, oftentimes that's music, and silence. And we're just, we're so, we, just, we don't have enough silence in our lives. And one thing we, we try to do in the church is have, you know, even the way the Mass is, is, is written is, it's, there's, there's word, silence, song, silence, word, silence, song, silence. There's kind of a, this, this beautiful balance between word and song and silence. We should enter into that silence and use that silent time to pray. Again, focusing, concentrating on what's going on in that silence, offering ourselves up, praying along with what's going on in the Mass, not just kind of daydreaming during the silence, right? Which is so allergic to silence, we need to really be able to enter into it and use that space to open our hearts to the Lord and pray to Him. It's crazy how just like, there's just noise, like you can't pump gas these days without like some ad blaring right? <laughs> and also, you know, the earbuds, you walk down the sidewalk, you, you don't even feel like you can say hello to anyone or smile at anybody on the sidewalk because everyone's got their, their earbuds in, right? And is that what they call it? Yeah. I mean, I can see how convenient they are. My friends, I'll look at my friends at them, and I'm tempted to get them myself. I'm like, what? Do you want questions at the end for during? Ask now. Okay, so the silence. Yeah, give um, me a water break. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've never heard of silence, like what you just said, where there's supposed to be silence in the Mass. Because honestly, I always feel awkward for you. And I didn't realize that it's supposed to be silent. What do you mean you feel awkward for me? When? Because it's like there's certain parts of the Mass where it's like an awkward silence. But I didn't realize that that was... No, it shouldn't be awkward. You should be praying in silence <laughs> in your heart. So, for example, at the very beginning well, of Mass, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins. And, and how's that? I'm trying to do it out of context. So, what are we doing? Let us acknowledge our sins and prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred the Roman Missal says, pause for silent prayer. That's supposed to, you're actually supposed to be okay, calling to mind yes. your sins, saying, yeah, Lord, before, because before we receive these gifts from the Lord of word and sacrament, we should acknowledge the fact that we need to make up for our sins so we can be purified to receive him, right? Mm -hmm. There should be a pause for silence there so people can actually, you know, call to mind their sins. And then we say the prayer of contrition. Mm -hmm. After the first reading, before the response to the song, there should be a moment of silence to meditate what you just heard in the first reading. After the responsorial psalm, before the second reading, there should be a pause for silence. After the second reading, before the Alleluia, there should be a pause for silence. After the homily, the priest should sit down, and there should be a pause for silence. You can prayerfully reflect on what you've heard, right? There's, there should be silence built in throughout, so we can yep. prayerfully you know, think about what's going on. Well, because I know that when I, like, communion service at the Jefferson, for mm -hmm. example, definitely says silence. It, and I didn't realize why we were I don't feel, I'm not awkward with the silence. Maybe you're awkward with the silence because we're not used to silence. I'm not. Right? No, I'm not. And so I didn't realize that, that was important. Yep. <laughs> yep. I don't know okay. what the red missiles, so I should, I should look them up, but, you know, uh, maybe the red missiles say that. You know, the, the um, Lumen Christi missiles, they yeah. probably say, you know, like where it says, you know, the points of brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Yeah. The big missile I have in red, which is called the rubrics for red, you know, says all pause for some time of prayer. It says that in the little hand that says you have to mm -hmm. check. 
What about the silence after the Eucharist before you, uh, so you clean up? The purification? You purify? Yeah, and, and then, then you sit back there's a down. Moment of, there's, there should be a moment of silence after communion. And so is that silent prayer as well, or is that That's like right. reflection? No, you're supposed to be thinking about the redskins. Well, no, 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 but just silent prayer versus reflection versus like, I mean, silent prayer is talking in your head. That's, that's not right. silence for me. That's well, that's the purpose of the silence. Okay. So, so in your own words, you can thank Jesus for what you just received. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. And concentration, again, means we're praying with your whole person. You're saying the responses. You're, you're doing the proper gestures and postures, right? Pet peeve number four or five. People come forward to communion. Priest raises those. It's the body of Christ. Thank you. The communicant, the person who's received the communion, is supposed to respond, Amen. In a clear, that's a profession of faith. I mean, the priest is saying, what I'm about to give you is the body and blood, the soul and divinity of the incarnate Son of God. We believe this is really the body of Christ. And the communicant is supposed to respond, Amen. In other words, yes, I believe that. that that's what I'm going to receive. It just, I just, you know, people go, I'm like, mm, God, I want to hear, I don't, it doesn't need to be an evangelical, amen, Jesus, you know, but it should be a loud, clear profession of faith in what you're about to receive. It's a profession of faith, really. Okay. Participation. Concentration. All right. And then the final thing is continuation. The Mass doesn't end, as it were, the fruits of the Mass, what you've received doesn't end when the priest gives the final blessing. The church actually recommends that after Mass, before running out to brunch or coffee donuts or the Redskins or wherever you're going after Mass, that you actually stop, you stay in the church and say it, offer a prayer of thanksgiving. <coughs> now that can be hard because oftentimes people turn the church into sort of a coffee clutch, you know? Um, because, and especially when you have a church which is, has like, carpet and padded pews and kind of feels like a living room rather than like a traditional church. People really feel comfortable, you know, kind of standing around talking about, oh, the Redskins or showing pictures of their grandchildren or, you know, and it's, that's supposed to happen at the coffee and donut place or out in the public square out in front of the church. We have a parking lot on a beautiful plaza in the cloister, right? But, uh, you know, the church is an image of heaven and there again, it should be prayer and silence. And so even after mass, there should be a silence in the church. People should be able to kneel down in church and offer a quiet prayer of thanksgiving for what they've received. Again, that trend of free running out into the world saying, Lord, you know, go, you know, Mass is under, go in peace. Thanks be to God. Boom, you're out the door, right? I mean, even sometimes the priest is processing out, like people are beating him out of the church or beating him out of the doors, right? I'm like, seriously, we can't give God one assignment. It's rare we go over an hour. Can't give God like 50 minutes? Like, you can't wait for me to get out the door first and then come out? In any event. But, you know, so again, to transition well, let's take some time prayerfully after Mass to thank the Lord for what we received in word and in sacrament. So Thanksgiving after Mass, to continue what we've received. Also, the practice of the presence of God, right? In Mass, we have this encounter with the Lord in his word and in his sacrament. God only we receive Holy Communion because we're properly disposed. And then throughout the week, we should... What is practice? The spiritual practice of what's called the practice of the presence of God. That is, calling to mind the indwelling of God in our souls through grace, especially when you receive the grace of Holy Communion. So, you know, Catholics are obligated to keep holy the Lord's day, follow the third commandment by attending Mass faithfully every Sunday. 
You can go to Mass during the week, too, if you've got the luxury and the time, right? Because we have Mass every day. But if not, what you can do every day, every morning in your morning prayers or throughout the day is, you know, practice, practice of the presence of God, you know. Pausing to call to mind at different times during the day. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of yourself, of your grace. Thank you for giving me to yourself to me in Holy Communion. Help me to remember that there's nothing I can't face this day because you are with me, you are within me through this greatest gift of yourself. That's the practice of the presence of God, right? Calling to mind that indwelling of God in our souls. Uh, back, in the, back in the days, back in the olden days, you see pictures up there of the little old St. Charles uh, Church with all the kids from the school and the nuns. Back in the day, uh, the, the, the clock would strike the hour, you know, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 12 noon, and the nuns would say, okay, children, let's <coughs> sanctify the hour. In other words, let's make the hour holy. And that would mean they would say a prayer or pause for a moment of silence as people were called. All right, let's, you know, they've been doing arithmetic or reading or, or math or recess or whatever. All right, let's stop and pause. Let's call to mind. We're children of God. God has given himself to us. He dwells within us, right? That's the practice of the presence of God. That's something you can do with your iPhone, too. You, know, you can set it to ping you, you know, with the submarine every, every hour, and then you just call to mind the presence of God in your soul. Right? It's prayer. That's one way to carry on what you've received in Mass, that the word that's nourished you, that presence of God you received in the Eucharist, you carry on by calling to mind that presence in your soul regularly throughout the week and throughout the day. Another way to continue that a sense of, of, uh, of what you've received in the Mass is uh, adoration of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Our chapel, where we have the tabernacle, where we reserve the Most Blessed Sacrament after Mass, so we have communion to take to those that are not able to make it to Mass, those that are sick, those that are homebound, those that are dying. So Jesus is really and truly present in the Eucharist. We preserve him in the tabernacle, you know. And so you can go and make a visit there and kneel down and say a prayer in the presence of Jesus in the Most Blessed Sacrament and adore him there and worship him there and call to mind that you've received him in Holy Communion at Mass. That's kind of a, a way to kind of perpetuate that sense of Jesus' Eucharistic presence with us, right? We unlock that chapel every morning at 6 a.m. It's, it's locked up at 9 p.m. You can be out running around, doing errands, going shopping, going to visit a friend or whatever. Stop in for five minutes in the chapel and kneel down and say hello to Jesus and thank him for the gift of himself in Holy Communion. And then, of course, uh, continuation, most importantly, charity, that is love. A tree is known by its fruit. The fundamental biblical principle of discernment about anything is a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. What's the proof that you're continuing to live what you experience in the Mass? You're loving God and loving God by being faithful to commandments. What's the whole purpose of going to Mass? It's an encounter with the Lord Jesus. He teaches us and comes to us with his word. Feeds us and nourishes us with his real presence and his body and blood. What's the purpose of that? To make us holier. That is to make us love God and love our neighbor more and better. That's the ultimate sense of continuation of what we've received in the Mass. <coughs> so, my friends, a lot of you are new to the Mass, uh, probably most of you, and maybe you're kind of struggling with it, trying to understand what's going on there or how to get more out of it. You're going to get more out of it the more you put into it. And the way you're going to do that is information, preparation, concentration, and Anything about the mass? Questions about that? I'll tell you what we're going to do. Since I didn't get any other, I got, who's a person here who's not in our CIA? You, two, three, four, you guys. You guys know your stuff. I know who you are, right? So what we're probably going to do, we're going to do since the rest of you cannot go to confession yet, and we are going to have a confession class before people make their first confession in the new year, in the spring. 
And what I'm going to do tonight is not continue with how to make a good confession, because I know the ones that are here that are faithful parishioners already know how to make a good confession. So we're just going to finish up. We're just going to see what questions you have, and we'll just leave it there with uh, how to get more of the Mass tonight. Okay? So any questions you have about the Mass, okay, or the Eucharist? Yes. Excellent question. This goes to the, the, the whole, to the very heart of the meaning of what is the grace of God and how is that grace experienced. And it even goes to the heart of the contrast between, say, a Protestant experience and a Catholic understanding or experience of grace. So, can you feel grace? Can you feel grace? Who thinks you can feel grace? You guys are the heretics that have your hands up. <laughs> Why can you not feel grace? What is grace? Gift. What is grace? What gift? What's the gift? The flowers? The chocolates? Okay, it's the Holy Spirit, right? It's who is? God. One of the so Trinity. God, right, right. And grace is God pouring what? Himself. Himself, his life, his love into our hearts, right? Can you, is that... Perceptible is so. Is grace material? No. It's spiritual, right? Can you feel what is spiritual? There might be some effects. I was going to say maybe. effects. Okay, very good. Yeah. All right, that's the key. This is tricky, right? But it's crucial. You cannot feel grace, but you can feel the effects of the presence of grace, right? In other words, grace is immaterial, it's spiritual. I can't give you a bowl full of grace. Right? I can't give you a box of grace with a ribbon around it. If you could feel grace, <coughs> you would the sacraments. Mm -hmm. The whole point of the sacraments is, because you can't feel grace, God gives us these visible, tangible signs by which we believe and trust that through these visible, tangible signs, God's invisible and immaterial and unquantifiable grace is present and working in an extraordinary way. So that we believe when we celebrate a baptism and we pour water over a baby's head and say, I bet Joseph, I baptize you in the name of the Father. That we're not just pouring water and saying words, but that through that water and those words, God's grace is present in an extraordinary way. Because grace is immaterial. And it's through those materials we believe that in those particular times, with those particular words, in this particular signs, God's grace is working in an extraordinary way. It's present in an extraordinary way. Not something you can feel or see or hear, right? When you baptize a baby, you hear That's the whole point of the sacraments. We're physical beings, as I was saying before. We need signs, as it were. God gives us these signs by which we believe by faith that through these signs, he's really present and active in an extraordinary way. But you cannot feel or measure or, 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 or you can't feel that grace. Right? Otherwise, you wouldn't need, in a sense, like it's just a bowl full of grace, right? Or a package of grace or a box full of grace, right? But you can feel the, so you can't feel the Holy Spirit, but you can feel the effects of the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Again, if you could feel grace, if you feel the Holy Spirit, we need the sacraments, we need the church, and all just like just direct boom. <clears throat> now we also, each of us individually, has a direct relationship with God. That's true. Right? But the whole point of the sacraments, again, is uh, you, don't, you, you don't feel grace. So, to answer your question, this is a long background to answer your question. Is, um, I've been blessed to be a priest for 26 years and to celebrate Mass every day for 
twice as years, right? Most days, you know, and everything, <coughs> I'm receiving the body of Jesus, right? I'm celebrating this. I said, what, what a gift, right? That I'm unworthy of, but which I rejoice in, right? Most days I don't necessarily feel anything, right? But I believe what I'm receiving, and I believe that it has effects in my life. And when I prayerfully meditate what I'm receiving, then I have a sense of God's presence by faith. And at times, I feel the effects of that grace, right? I feel peace, joy, uh, patience, chastity, consolation. Um, um, yeah. So you can feel the effects. So we call these the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Peace, joy, uh, patience, chastity, um, kindness, right? You can feel the effects of God's grace, yes. There's an affective experience of encountering God. It, by meditating his word, by receiving the sacraments, by praying, by praising him, right? But, but you understand the distinction, right? Um, yeah. Do you understand why the distinction is important? Because it's like, it's like the love you have for your husband or wife or mother or father or brother or sister or children, right? You can't quantify, you can't, it's, it's, it's invisible, it's immaterial, it's not, you can't taste, see, touch, smell, hear it. Same thing with the grace of God, because it's his love. So it's not quantified, you can't put it in a bowl, right? Now, so when someone loves you and they express that love, you feel the effects of that love, but you're not like, in a sense, you're not like feeling the love itself, right? That love is, it's not material, it's spiritual, it's invisible, it doesn't have atoms, right? You see what I'm saying? But definitely you feel the effects of that love, right? This person shows me love. Uh, and that's why, you know, it's important to remember, too, that love is not an emotion. Love is not a passion. Love is not a chief sentiment. Love is an act of the will. You prove your loving person by doing loving things to another person. Right? Um, and then that experience of someone doing loving things for you, you do feel the effects of that love, right? And you love them in return. But love is not a warm fuzzy. Love is... Pouring yourself out in sacrificial gift for the good of the other by doing what's good for the other. Oftentimes, despite what you feel, right? So it's not a matter of feeling. That's not to say that the experience of the encounter with God does not have true, deep, affective experiences for us, right? Wow. You know, peace and joy. What, 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 what do we want? A deep, lasting happiness and joy and, and peace, right? You get that when you experience God, right? But it's the experience of the effects of his presence, not his presence itself. Okay? Good question. Uh, I had a, I'm not sure quite how to phrase this, but how do you decide, how, or how does a celebrant decide between the different prefaces or Eucharistic prayers or the well, things of that nature? Well, there, some are required, some are options. So, for example, for the Sunday in Ordinary Time, the preface, which is follows after the Lord be with you, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. There's a long prayer that precedes the saying of the Holy, 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 right? That preface, so for example, Sundays in early time, there's seven options. Priest, <coughs> But if it's the Mass for the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, there's a proper preface for that Mass. Eucharistic prayer, there's four Eucharistic prayers. There's two for reconciliation. It's up to the priest, celebrant, to choose the Eucharistic prayer. It's up to him. There are options in the Mass depending on the day in the Mass, right? So for example, for something like you know, Easter Sunday, 
the prayers are proper, the preface of everything is, you know, there's no options really, except for the Eucharistic prayer. Okay, what else about the Mass? I really encourage you, especially those of you who are new to Catholicism, to you know, purchase one of those books, especially one of the first three or four there, and just kind of, you know, to learn about the Mass, because it's just, it's the most important thing we do. Um, does Mass and communion service, is it, this, is it the same thing? It is not the same thing, right? Right. A communion service, which is what our extraordinary ministry of Holy Communion do, say in a nursing home, where they go, they read the liturgy of the Word, and they give out Holy Communion, which has already been consecrated, right, is different than the holy sacrifice of the Mass in which bread and wine is taken. And the and it is through the consecration, it becomes the body and blood of Christ, and it perpetuates the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So the central mysteries of the life of Christ are his passion, death, and resurrection, by which he conquers sin and the ultimate consequences of <coughs> death and reconciles humanity again to God. That perfect sacrifice of Christ, which makes up for the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, that, that new and eternal covenant in his body and blood is perpetuated and actualized and made real every time the Mass is celebrated. The Mass is us offering to the Father, the Son, on our behalf as a perfect sacrifice that makes us acceptable in God's eyes, right? What, what's the point? Well. Because our, the sin of our first parents, which is passed on by generation, humanity is conceived and born in sin, or damaged goods, right? That's what we call original sin. Not very politically correct, but the fact is, if there's no original sin, there's no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. Like, what's he saving us from, right? What he's saving us from is sin to make us one again with God. So because humanity was damaged goods, because we sin was perpetuated by generation, we couldn't offer a perfect sacrifice to the Father that would make us acceptable to him in his eyes, that would make up for our sin. That's the whole point of the Incarnation, that God assumes our humanity, a sinless humanity, a perfect, unblemished lamb, right? Where does Jesus get his perfect humanity from? From his sinless mother who's conceived without sin. We're kind of getting our head ourselves in our state. But, so Jesus, in his perfect humanity, offers an acceptable sacrifice to the Father on our behalf. So every time we celebrate the Mass, we're once again perpetuating that sacrifice. We're offering Jesus to the Father on our behalf to make us acceptable in his eyes, right? We're reliving the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. It is the perpetuation of the Last Supper. The Last Supper, only as much as that's the beginning of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. It's not a new sacrifice every time. We're not like the old dispensation where the priests were offering the sacrifices of bulls and goats and doves and burning up these animals. As, sign, as 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 um, you know, sacrifices as, as signs of their atonement for their sins to God. When we celebrate the Mass, we are perpetuating, um, making present, react. We are we are we are participating in the one sacrifice of Christ in His passion, death, and resurrection, which was offered once for all eternity. That new covenant is being perpetuated and continually celebrated. Right. So it's not every time we say well, say the Mass, it's not like another sacrifice. It's the one sacrifice of Christ which is continually perpetuated over time for our salvation. So it's very different than, say, me taking communion, which has already been consecrated at the Mass, to someone who's in the nursing home. Sorry, just one more, but um, in 
in following the mass, is it right that as a parishioner praying along with the mass, even though we're not, clearly we aren't celebrating it, but we are, you know, we have the prayers in front of us. What is the, what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah, you should be that? praying along with the prayers of the priest. Because he's offering them on everyone's behalf and with everyone, right? With and that's why oftentimes the priest says, we, right. we offer you this sacrifice of praise for ourselves and for those who are dear to us, right? We recall the, the Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. But oftentimes it's we. Now the priest is also in the person of Christ at times. He says, I, you know, this is my body, this is my blood, right? He stands in for Christ for us, right? But uh, everyone's supposed to be praying along with the words of the priest, even though those words aren't theirs to say out loud. We should be praying along with them, absolutely. Especially during the offertory, which is usually accompanied by a song. Now, if you go to my daily mass, I do the offertory in silence, which is the traditional way. Right? There's the option of saying it out loud as well. But when the when the gifts are being prepared and offered by the priest before the during the offertory before the consecration, that's when we should kind of really be prayerfully offering ourselves, like you know, Lord, accept me, and and accept me as an acceptable sacrifice, as as, as Father, as, as Jesus is offered up. Accept me along with him as a, as a sacrifice acceptable in your eye. We should be offering ourselves along with Jesus. That's the whole point. Yes? Do you think it's better for non-Catholics during communion to come forward this or to stay seated? It's really better to stay seated. There's really no provision for a blessing for non-Catholics. That's become a popular thing in a lot of places. And I don't tell people you have lost when they come forward, right? But um, so we just say, God bless you when someone comes forward. But really, that procession is really that, those lines are for those who have been initiated into the Holy Mysteries, have received their first Holy Communion, are coming forward for communion. Everyone else we really invite to, to remain and, and join us in prayer, right? Again, we're, we're used to it in some way. It's not something I encourage, but it's not something I'm going to tell people to stop. Get out of here, right? You just say, God bless you. Logistical question. Um, should people be holding hands during the Our Father or not? There's no provision for that in the room. I would generally say, you know, um, the old saying for us priests is, so in the Missal you have the words that are in black that are the prayers, and you have the rubrics, the word comes from red, Latin word for red, which are the instructions in red. The old saying is, do what's in red and say what's in black, right? So basically the gestures and postures that we have at Mass should be the ones that are written in the book for us to follow. So everyone kneels at the same time, we stand at the same time, we bow at the same time, right? There's no provision for holding hands during the Our Father. That became a custom, so I don't know how that developed. But, and in some places it's widespread, but there's nothing that says, okay, now we hold hands. Whereas the Missile does say, you know, um, you know um, we strike our breasts <coughs> when we say we're sorry for our sins, or we bow at the creed when we Called it, we, we, we call the incarnation, right? There's certain gestures says very clearly this is what everyone should be doing at this point. There's nothing that ever says everyone should hold hands. And there's also nothing that says that people should raise their hands like this at the Our Father. That's that's properly a priestly gesture at that point. So do some churches not, so in certain churches they might not do the prescribed gestures that are written. That's right. Is, so is that optional or is that something that the no, should, no one should really be adding anything on their own initiative to the even the priest isn't supposed to do that. It's very clear in the church. Like, you know, if I wanted to, I don't know, 
priests can't be changing the prayers on their own authority, can't be adding stuff that's in there. There are legitimate options in the Mass, right? But can't be kind of adding in my own gestures and own stuff, right? And that goes for everybody pretty much. Otherwise, it becomes about me rather than us doing it as the body of Christ, that we're all praying with the same words and, and praying with the same gestures and postures. If it becomes an individual thing, then that creates a lack of unity in the worshiping body. When I was in middle school, I remember in Mass, um, the proper reply to peace be with you was, and also with you. Right. And why was that changed? The whole Mass was, re, was retranslated. The English translation was completely redone about 10 years ago now. Anyway, uh, so um, with the Reforms liturgy, so up until 1970 or so, the Mass was always in Latin, right? But with the Reforms of the Church and the Second Vatican Council, permission was given for the Mass to be celebrated in the vernacular languages. So translations were made of the Mass from Latin into English, Spanish, French, Italian, whatever, right? A lot of those translations, those early translations, the early 70s, were rushed, and they weren't as faithful and as effective as they, as they could have been. So over time, people started to realize, you know, this is not a really good translation of the original Latin Missal. So there was a big push, and then finally it was accepted by Rome to retranslate the Missal. Also, there were different English versions for like England, United States, Australia, and it was like, let's get all the English speakers praying the same. Right. <laughs> same thing happened in Spanish too. There's like a Latin American version and a Spanish version. And then there was a texto under John Paul, there was a texto unificado, unified text. But um, it was retranslated because the transition was, frankly, it was, it was pretty bad. I mean, I can give you one example. So, um, although I, I shudder to think because I, I spent, you know, like, I don't know, like you know, 15, 20 years in saying Mass in the old translation. It, it was hard to kind of learn to say Mass you know, in a new translation, as you can imagine. It's one thing for you to do it every Sunday. I was doing this every day, right? So I try, I try not to recall the old formulation so I don't get tripped up when I'm saying Mass, right? But, so for example, um, after the breaking of the bread, after the consecration, before communion, the priest lifts up the host and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Right? Mm -hmm. Those are two phrases that come right out of sacred scripture. Right? So one is, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes the sins of the world. Where does that come from? Okay, good. In what context? Jesus was like. Who said it? It was when John the Baptist, when Jesus comes up to John the Baptist. Okay, good. John the Baptist has his followers, right? And then Jesus, it's an old bait and switch, right? He's preparing these guys for the Messiah, right? So Jesus wanted to John the Baptist, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay. And what about the second phrase? Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. That's from the book of Revelation, right? Which is the great celebration of the wedding feast of the Lord <coughs> Christ with his bride, the church, the consummation of all things, right? The end of time, right? What we're celebrating in the Mass is a foretaste of that eternal heavenly banquet with Christ in heaven, right? So those are two phrases of Scripture. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Right out of Scripture. The old translation was... This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to his supper. <laughs> so, happy are those who are called to his supper is nice, but it's not, and like, in the Latin is, Beati quia decenam ani vocati sum. Blessed are those who are called to the banquet of the Lamb. 
the lamb was totally dropped. I was like, where's the lamb? And then it was translation. It was like, happy those who are called to suffer. It's like, come and get, you know what I mean? Like, you, you can say that's nice, but don't call it an authentic and faithful translation. Like, the, the, the lamb was totally dropped. There were other, I can give you other examples too about it. It's just not a faithful translation of the Latin. So, it was tough. They, everyone had to relearn the mass and the responses, but yes, it was changed. So, it was also, you know, and, and also with the, the Lord be with you, and also with you. Now it's the Lord be with you, and with your spirit, which is a more accurate translation of the Latin. All right, so it's 9 o'clock, it's late, we've been listening for two hours. Let us give glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.